You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And the next domino has fallen in the conversation around the Phoenix Suns and the Phoenix Mercury, Phoenix Mercury franchises as owner Robert Sarver on Wednesday announced he has begun the process to sell both of those franchises. His statement says, in part, quote, as a man of faith, I believe in atonement and the path to forgiveness. I expected that the commissioner's one-year suspension would provide the time for me to focus, make amends, and remove my personal controversy from the teams that I and so many love. But in our current unforgiving climate, it has become painfully clear that it is no longer possible, that whatever good I have done or could still do is outweighed by things I have said in the past. For those reasons, I'm beginning the process of seeking buyers for the Suns and Mercury. If we were looking for a statement, Sarah, of an apology or a statement of some sort of moving forward or an acknowledgement that, man, maybe I screwed this whole thing up, what we got today was Robert Sarver saying, I'll sell, but I'm going to remind you the entire way out the door that, uh, you know, I'm a changed man and I didn't deserve this. Yeah, he made himself the victim and he set himself up for what feels like an inevitable tour as a martyr, the potential to make money, writing books, telling his story, being lauded, being patted on the back for standing up for things and for being quote unquote canceled. I mean, that's the language she wanted to use there when he said unforgiving climate. Keep in mind, it's been, what, a week since the news of his suspension and his fine? And he seems to believe that at some point during those few days, it would become clear that people had already started the work of forgiving. For what reason would anyone, particularly considering the pushback on the initial investigation, which Baxter Holmes wrote the story for and unearthed the Sun's statements, on the expected story that was about to come out in late 2021 and how they said they were fabrications and lies and an attack on the franchise and they weren't correct. They've since been deleted, by the way. This has been a constant pushback on the reports of many. And Sarver still has yet to sound contrite, to sound apologetic, and here he makes himself a victim. Now, the ultimate result, fits is a good one because I think the NBA is better off with him selling these two teams. But that statement... I think Mina Kimes was one who called it cancel culture bingo. That is absolutely right. And also, I resent the idea that in a moment of persecution, deservedly so, people say, as a man of faith, as a father of daughters, my best friends are black. But they don't apply whatever they expect people to see in them because of those statements to any of the behaviors that lead up to those statements. As a man of faith, I now expect you to forgive me and to allow me to atone. But that same man of faith for the last few decades has been behaving terribly. That, to me, is the ultimate in forgive me for everything before I've proven for a second that I think it was wrong or I've done anything to deserve forgiveness. You can strip this thing down line by line and find fault with it. As a man of faith, I would be questioning what portion of his comments were made while he was thinking about his faith. Also, he has not told anybody how he's utilized his faith to go back and find his own problems to figure out how to ask for forgiveness for those. Because as he says, I believe in atonement and the path to forgiveness, but he has yet to acknowledge his actual actions in a way that give us a path to forgive him for anything. He also says in his statement that he thought that the suspension would give him time to focus, make amends 
will make amends for what? You still haven't come out and said, here's what I did, and here's how I'm going to be a better person. So as you continue to call the climate, Robert Sarver, unforgiving, I'm left to wonder what forgiveness you expected when you haven't actually acknowledged what you did to get that first step towards any sort of a forgiving society. Like, you have to come out and say, here's where I screwed up, and I'm sorry before anyone turns around and says, man— I forgive you. Like, you can't get to step two without step one, and he still hasn't done step one. So all of this, to your point, speaks to the fact that he never wanted forgiveness. He wants people to feel sorry for him while he goes out and gets his multi-billion dollar check for selling two organizations. Well, he wants forgiveness without the work. And this is the refrain that you hear so often in situations where the perpetrators of something awful are expecting some sort of sympathy. He has made himself the victim in this statement, And he has given five or six days post-punishment to allow for people to come crawling over and and make sure he's okay and make sure he's going to recover. It's frankly kind of expected. And I think the reason for this, Fitz, is that he looked around at the climate and the landscape, particularly of the WNBA and the NBA, and he said, I'm going to be persona non grata here. Being away for a year and hoping that it dies down probably won't be enough considering the loud voices that exist within this league, considering the fact that a minority owner, a uh, NBA PA representative, a sponsor, multiple superstar players, including the star on my team, have already spoken out about me. When I return, there will be a lot of backlash. And I would rather make $2 billion selling the teams and then go be the star of this quote-unquote cancel culture backlash, anti-woke world where I can be applauded for standing up and selling my team. And I, I do think that that's something that's going through his head when he makes this statement before announcing this. This sounds like it's ripped right out of the football coach who, you know, forced his players to pray, ended up winning a lawsuit to get his job back and hasn't returned to work. They keep calling and asking if he's coming back now that he won the lawsuit and he's instead been making a victory tour getting, you know, gold-plated guns as presents and talking at at political rallies, right? I mean, this sounds like he's setting him up for the future post-NBA because he recognized that it was not going to be a place for him even when he technically would be allowed back. We live in a world, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, where I, I genuinely believe that for the most part in these situations, if he were to come out and say, you know what, I realize that my actions and my words hurt people. And so as a result, I've sat down with LeBron and Chris Paul and Draymond and all of the people. I've had face-to-faces with the people that that continue to call for my removal. And I don't believe these relationships can be repaired. If you come out and say something like that, then I can look at it and say, well, at least put the effort in. If you come out and simply say, it's clear that we live in an unforgiving society mm-hmm. without putting in any of that work, like a, a for Robert Sarver to get a meeting with LeBron James is not complicated. And LeBron James has been very loud about how he feels about this issue. Robert Sarver could have, like a you know grown-ass adult, gone face-to-face with the person that, that is saying these things and said, okay, how do I make this right? What, what needs to happen right now? We didn't get any of it. There hasn't even been time to make that happen, right. to your point, Sarah. So it only speaks to, you know, sometimes it's easier just to say everybody else has made uh, this an issue than it is to actually look in the mirror and fix it yourself. And and the grossest part about this for Sarver is that the way he portrays it not only shows that he's done nothing in his mind that he thinks needs to be corrected, 
but it also blatantly shows that he was never going to put in the work through the process of trying to rehab his image or the way people around him saw him. And all I can say is, like, if I found out that I said something on air unintentionally and it really hurt your feelings, I have the opportunity to then call you and say, hey, let's sit down, let's talk this out, right? And by doing that, I can at least try to make amends. If instead, I just decide to make a press statement and say, well, Sarah hates me and obviously no one's going to forgive me, then right. like, there's, there's been no right. attempt at anything. And that's what this is. This is, a, this is a billionaire that's smart enough to know what he's doing, doing it in exactly the right way for him to not have to ever admit that he did a damn thing wrong. Completely agree. And honestly, thankfully, it's the best move for the league. Um, and even though this doesn't change... What we've talked about in the last few days about the power structure in professional leagues where no matter how progressive and forward thinking we believe them to be, they still operate under the same structure of basically the marginalized groups that in this case are the African-American players on the men's and women's teams that play under him uh, have to do all the work of speaking up versus the rich, empowered, entitled white men who own these teams who could be speaking out against their fellow owners. That hasn't changed, but I do think there's something to be considered here, Fitz, that if you now look at this climate and say, you don't have to be actually forced by Adam Silver to sell. You don't have to be bound by the CBA or voted by your fellow owners to be pushed out. It can just be the only move left for you based on how loud those players and marginalized groups are going to be based on a climate that no longer wants you around. And that might affect behaviors and change the way other owners see this contract that they're in with Silver, with the league. Uh, as opposed to even just a few years ago. Yeah, well, and this is just the beginning of, like, we've said this every time we talk about it. There will be more layers to this whole conversation, and as those layers continue to come out, we will get you caught up on it. We're also going to, in about 45 minutes, we're going to talk to Wendy about all of this and see what Brian Windhorst can tell us about the latest going on with it. Be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. Tweet us, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, ESPN Nation, presented by Dr. Pepper. It ain't college football season without the delicious taste of an Ice cold Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. We're still very early in the NFL season, but there are some teams that need to turn the page. We'll tell you who next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Feeling I'm feeling it. this. Feeling it. Let Yes. Ow. Is that a pan flute? Ow. Is that a recorder? I, I don't know, but it's sensual. I'm just saying. <laughs> Like right now, this is the one day of the year that you can walk up to somebody with a recorder, get right in their face, and just start playing this, and you'll be greeted with a hug. I'm, I don't test that theory. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Series X. As XM always, channel depends lady. on what you look like. Yeah, that is, uh, God, that is, that's what we're going to get. But like, if we ever get another run of, of merch with like a, a tagline, it's going to say, as always, depends on what you look like. We're presented by Progressive like. Insurance. Uh, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we're the pretty ones. Um, here's the thing it's Wednesday, and, you know, after a couple of days, this, this segment really this week, I think, is mostly for me. After a couple of days of suffering, guys, I think it's time that we. We turn the page. We got to turn the page. I mean, we're going to sit there and talk about the Kansas City game for the rest of the season. 24 hours after the game, you, you got to move on. Speaking of sensual. I'm telling you what. If I don't learn how to play the saxophone just to play that line, I just want to play that line. This is at Patriots. This is 
What are we doing? What? I, I didn't say that yet. Is that what we were doing? <laughs> oh. You know what? Now we know what game we're starting with. This is all about the teams that need to turn the page, and we start with the Ravens and Patriots, uh, as the voice of God just told us. Patriots. Thank you. It's never going to get old. Uh, Ravens and Patriots. But this one, for me, Sarah, there's there's two reasons why this is a turn-the-page game. Side A of this is that the Ravens just need to get the taste of that fourth-quarter collapse out of their mouth. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other portion of this is that the Patriots need to turn the page and just forget about a second consecutive ugly offensive performance. I, I think both teams desperately need to turn the page. I would like to talk to some of the folks. There were mostly New England former players or homers who kind of scoffed at the idea that what we were seeing in the camp and preseason would carry over to the regular season. But we have. We have seen an offense that's sputtering, an offense that doesn't really look like it's under great leadership. And maybe that's us, you know, fulfilling a prophecy of of believing that there would be issues with the not naming an offensive coordinator. But it's ugly so far. It's real ugly, and it's going to be their first regular season home game against a Ravens team that has a lot to prove. Massive loss to the Dolphins. 28 points given up in the fourth quarter. But that fourth quarter wasn't the only issue that we've seen from the Ravens. Defensively, they haven't been a good team so far. And, uh, you know, I think they have a lot of questions to answer because three quarters into that game, Boy, were we high on Lamar Jackson and the team. Now he's got an elbow injury, and the loss just completely changed our perspective on on what this team is going to be this year. Yeah, you could have ended that sentence much earlier. You know, three quarters into this game, boy, were we high. Oh, maybe that was just me. Uh, all right, so uh, Lamar, you're right, and Lamar has another opportunity to go out and just absolutely continue to stuff the bag full of cash because he has been everything for the Ravens. Uh, this is going to be a big opportunity for him. I think the Ravens get the benefit, too, of being angry. I just wonder if we're going to see a different level of fire from them. That's not the only turn-the-page game. Next up. Bengals at Jets. And the Bengals and the Jets are on this list because the Bengals find themselves yet again uh, in this situation looking around saying, we we lost? Like, we're, w- what's going on? And frankly... The Jets get a miracle win. They kind of need to turn the page and just shove that behind them too so that they can continue to move all, move about the cabin. Yeah, I mean, they would need to prove that it was more than a fluke there, right? That that there there's something going on there that will carry over to the next game and it wasn't just uh uh, you know, the stars aligning on a very wacky Sunday last week. Joe Burrow actually sounds like he is with us on the Bengals needing to turn the page after their terrible start. I think we got that, Joe Burrow. Very comfortable. Those guys are, are working hard to get it right. I can do a lot more to help them too, and, and we can do more with, with play calling to help them as well. So um, we're getting this thing right. Nobody's panicking. Myself, I mean, everyone is, is frustrated, but like I said, we're not panicking. Two games in, we got 15 games left. It's all just take a deep breath and relax. We're going to be fine. We're not worried about it. We got great players, great coaches, understand our, our plan and know what we need to do to fix it. And two, we did it last year. We were in here talking about the same exact stuff, and everyone saw how it worked out. So, you know, we're, we're focused on getting it right, getting better. But uh, like I said, no panic. A lot of urgency, but no panic. Uh, he hit us with the R-E-L-A-X. The last person who did that worked out pretty well. 
Do you think that this is the same situation in terms of the Bengals being able to rebound the way the Packers did after that? Yeah, and I also wonder, does he have to, like, put a little change in the jar for, uh, like, is there a fee for that when you say relax? Like, does Aaron Rodgers get paid? No, I think I think the, the Bengals will be just fine. Uh, and this is, but this is the week that you have to, I, I said last week they'll be just fine and they weren't. So I can only stretch that dough so much before we say this is the week. But yes, I'm not going to believe that Joe Flacco is suddenly elite. I am going to believe that Joe Burrow is. So uh, that, that's going to be the difference in it. Next up on our Turn the Page games. Raiders at Titans. I, I shove this one in here, Sarah, because, I mean, for both teams, the Raiders are coming off a historic loss for the franchise, and the season could go off the rails. And the Titans are coming off the sort of butt whooping that usually, you know, I got for running my mouth too much as a kid. Like, there, there's just not, for both of these teams, there's no wiggle room left. Like, th- this is the ultimate. You've got to turn the page and understand that today, for this one week, you've got to be what everybody thought you could be in the preseason. The Titans are going to have to run the ball really well, get after the passer somehow, and the, the Raiders are going to have to open up, get Devontae Adams involved, get after the passer. Like, both of these teams have huge expectations. It's the ultimate turn the page game. It is, and we talked about this yesterday since the start of the 2019 season. 27 teams have started 0-2. Not a single one has made the postseason. These are teams that need to make a big change. And the Raiders, I think, are much more optimistic about. They faced two tough teams. They just need to get some things worked out and get back on track. The Titans, on the other hand, this is the last year. They would have re-upped contracts. They would have paid A.J. Brown. They would have figured out how to revamp this if they thought that they had a real shot. And instead, they're sort of just letting the existing core peter out. Uh, They want to turn the page. Unfortunately for them, I don't see that happening anytime soon. Speaking of wanting to turn the page, sometimes you want to and you realize maybe you shouldn't. One more game here. Chiefs at Colts. No, no. (laughs) Do not turn the page, Colts. Close the book. Do not. Do not. What's coming on the next page is terrifying. As much as the Colts need to turn the page, I suggest that they close the book and run away and potentially forfeit the rest of the season because they are going to get devoured by the Chiefs. Yeah, I... uh... I, I will implore anyone that's ever seen the movie The Campaign to go out and watch the scene where Will Ferrell says, hey, you know what? Uh, you get my son to tell you that uh, he loves you and call you dad? Turn the page? There's this thing that happens after. I love working for Disney. I won't quote it. I'm just Ooh, saying that that's what what's going to I've yeah, never seen it. That, that, uh, yeah. Uh, that, that's what's going to happen this Sunday. So uh, this one's going to get ugly. Speaking of the Chiefs, our next guest convinced himself, coined himself as the number one Mahomes truther. You'll hear from next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, hanging out with you on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80 can always hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. Joining us now, Yahoo NFL writer Charles McDonald. You follow him at 4Verts. Hey, real quick, tell us about the Yahoo gig. That's a new thing. Yeah, uh, I I started working at Yahoo this week. I think I've been agreed to it for like a month, but I didn't start working until uh, this week, which is great because uh, just for my listeners out there, I live in New York City. Would not recommend going an entire month without a paycheck in New York City, but uh, <laughs> we made it. Uh, I'm really excited to be there. Uh, my podcast, The Exempt Place, is going to be coming back in a couple of weeks. So, yeah, a lot of things to be excited about. Awesome stuff. Uh, as I was looking at that bio and that new gig, I also noticed that your Twitter name reads number one Mahomes truther. What is the truth about <laughs> Mahomes that we do all uh, all need to catch up on? 
Uh, I think he's the best quarterback in the league. Uh, which wild hot take, but so okay. So it all started because I, I just I there there was like some Warren Sharp tweet where he like he didn't have Patrick Mahomes and like his top ten most accurate quarterbacks in the league. So I just started this bit like Mahomes is the most underrated player in the NFL, and also he Mahomes is like number eight on the NFL top one hundred. So I was like, oh, there he goes the most underrated player uh, in the NFL, and honestly. I just don't know why we really had any questions about the Chiefs at all because that guy is like the production's really on another level than anyone we've ever seen in NFL history. Like really from his first season starting, every year that he's been the quarterback, they've at least made it to the AFC Championship game, which is uh, a pretty absurd feat considering like how long uh, he's been playing football at a high level and how long he's been in the NFL. Uh, it's really just something dumb that can entertain me. Like when, you know, it comes out that he's, you know, behind Joe Flacco and Geno Smith on PSF grades. It's just another moment for me to take that really easy layup and say, hey, really on Patrick Mahomes guy, he's pretty good. If I can make some people laugh along the way, that's what I'm going for. All right, so keep the truth or hat on, but go to the opposite side. If Mahomes is the most underrated, who's the most overrated player we hype too often? Ooh, wow. That is a great question. I'm just trying to destroy your matches. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna go with and I, I don't even know how much I believe this, but I feel like DK Metcalf kind of needed Russell Wilson maybe more than we had thought. Uh, I, I I don't think that this has been the start this season that he wanted. Tyler Lockett throwing that game on Sunday, but when you look at like where DK Metcalf thrives, it's really in the deep portions of the field, and you can argue that really over the last like decade of football, no one has thrown a better deep pass than. Uh, Russell Wilson. So I don't know if if DK is like overrated, but I do think that he needed Russell Wilson a little bit more than maybe we would have thought based on what we've seen so far this year. I mean, unfortunately, he had that insane catch that got taken away due to a penalty. Yeah, that's maybe a good we point. would feel that, a little that really different. That really helps me out right now. Yeah, if that highlight was still in the mix, <laughs> you might not be as uh, forthright in making that statement. Charles McDonald, aka Four Verts, is with us here on Spain and Fitz. Uh, Micah Parsons, uh, so far, picking up where he left off. What are the chances he could actually battle for an MVP and not just Defensive Player of the Year? I mean, I think I think the hardest part for him is, you know, what's the Cowboys' record going to look like because that always plays a big role into it. But he's, he's he, I don't even really know how to describe what it's like watching him play football because – the thing is, as good as he is an edge rusher, like he could be, he could have like that level of impact, or at least be that skilled at middle linebacker too. Like he's really just one of these once in a decade type uh, of prospects. And I know that that gets thrown around a lot, but I just remember when he had that pro day at uh, Penn State, and you know, you see the reports that Michael Parsons six five, six four, two fifty five. Ran a four three forty at his pro day. I'm like, okay, yeah, whatever. And then <laughs> you see him actually play in the NFL. You're like, oh no, 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 he's actually running a four three out there. Uh, and it's not only that; it's the awareness, like just the the baseline things that make you a good football player. On top of having like wide receiver speed and defensive end's body, um, it's it's pretty crazy. Uh, and I mean, I, I think at this point, you should be he should be considered as an MVP through two weeks because. He's a huge, huge, huge reason why they were able to shut down uh, the Bengals' offense, even though they started slow. He was basically a one-man record machine. I mean, if they wanted to do single box layout columns, they couldn't block him. If they wanted to chip him with a running back, they couldn't block him. Double teams couldn't block him. Uh, and I, I just think it's incredible to see 
you know, one of these guys that has the high weight speed, but also is just an incredible football player to go with it. And, you know, I, I think the goal for him should probably be to break the sack record, and I don't see why he wouldn't be able to do that based on what he's seen so far from him. If he plays lights out this way for the entire time, is there some element of, like, he by himself can keep the Cowboys in the conversation while Dak gets healthy? Oh, yeah. I mean, if he's going to play this well, um, yeah, definitely. Because I, I think, you know, even the ESPN pass block win rate stuff, I'm pretty sure he's winning almost 60% of his pass rush reps right now, which is just utterly insane when you're thinking about uh, how fast he's got these quarterbacks are getting the ball out. If you're just going to be flying off the edge that fast, uh, even on three-step drops or some of these play-action plays, you're really just quite literally an unblockable player. And I think that that's where he is right now. And I just want to know, like, how much better can he even get from here? Because he's already playing – he's yeah. basically already pulling up Aaron Donald impact in year two, you know, game called 19 of his NFL career. He's put up Aaron Donald impact. Um, it's really rare when you can peg one of those guys this early in their career and say, oh, yeah, he's a Hall of Famer because I think that that's probably where Michael Parsons is. I mean, I agree with you that he could do a lot. I think Cooper Rush is going to have something to say about whether the Cowboys stay alive. Yeah. I think that's going to matter. We're talking to to Charles McDonald, uh, NFL writer for Yahoo. Uh, We've got a huge Bills versus Dolphins game coming up. Uh, Some folks are saying they need to see more from Tua, that that one quarter wasn't enough to convince them. Um, I think they'll have a good shot to see that against a Bills team that's been really good, especially against deep balls. That's where he was feasting with those two fast guys on either side in the last game. Uh, what do you expect from Tua this weekend, and have you been convinced? Are you part of Tua Non now? Uh, no, I'm not part of Tua Non. Uh, because, I mean, the way that I feel about it is, do we know, like, if you're the Dolphins, does that quarter make you be like, okay, well, this this is our guy. Like, do we feel... You know, does that one quarter impact or outweigh the other seven that you've seen so far this season, which is, you know, a guy who can go out and run the offense, but then in that fourth quarter, uh, I think Baltimore played a big role in some of the offensive success that the Dolphins had. But to his credit, he made the throws that were available, and they exported, you know, what was a pretty puzzled and confused defense in that fourth quarter. I don't think you're going to see the same problems with Buffalo because Buffalo, you know, these guys have played together for a long time now uh, under the same system with – Jordan Poirier, Micah Hyde, I mean, those guys are probably the best safety duo in the NFL. Uh, they're getting really great play out of some of the rookie corners, uh, Benford and Elam, who are you know playing big roles for them. It's, it's a tough task, and, you know, I, I think the toughest task for the Dolphins is not – or for the Bills is not too. It's just, you know, you have probably the two fastest receivers in the league on the same team, and that presents so many problems for you. I wouldn't say, you know I, – I, I guess here's what I say on the two thing. I don't think you've learned – I don't think you should feel any different uh, than you did coming into the game on Sunday based on him being your long-term quarterback because mm. you kind of need to see it again. Uh, it's one good quarter. You've had seven like average to above average ones. Even in that Baltimore game, started off a little slow, but it's nice to see him rally at the end. Real quick, Charles, uh, like we uh, we like to get things off our chest when things aren't going well. You're a Falcons fan. How you feeling? <sighs> okay, <laughs> we'll see. I wish they were worse than they were because – my problem with them this year is that they're more competent than I thought they would be, uh, which sucks because now it's like more reason to get like spend part of my Sunday being emotionally invested. Like there was on Sunday when they were down 28 to three, first of all, just war flashbacks, of, you know, all the horrible things that happened in that Super Bowl a few years ago. But then they started making a comeback and the pump lock came on red zone. And once they got the pump lock, 
I scramble back to my computer to find a stream for it, and then you get down <laughs> to the last play of the game, and Mariota has a chance for a Hail Mary, but instead of throwing the ball, he's got 6'6", six, six, Tits, and 6'5", Dick London down there somewhere. He scrambles around, takes the strips back, and the game ends. And I was like, that is the worst part of being a Falcons fan right there. It's not like rooting for the Jets where, you know, you know going to see that we're going to be blown, whatever. It, there's always something that grabs your attention just enough and makes you tune in, and then they're never quite good enough to get across the finish line when you really want them to. Like that week one game against the Saints, that sucked. That was the only game I cared about this season, and they blew a huge lead. Then the next week, they almost come back from a huge deficit. It's just it's entertaining, but it's awful at the same time if you catch my drift. <laughs> we get it. We yep. get it. I yep. mean, they're yeah. gonna they're gonna keep it interesting, which I guess is better than nothing at all. But that does hurt a little bit more than just outright sucking. Uh, Charles, thanks yep. for the insight and congrats on the new gig. Thanks, Charles. Thank you. Talk to you guys later. You can follow him at Four Verts. Check out his writing and his podcast. It's Charles McDonald. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. If you caught a historic home run ball, one that at least one person said could be worth half a million dollars, what would you ask for in return? We'll explain when we do some quickies next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. If you could take a bunch of cash in hand or do right by the team and the player you love... What would you do? It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We'll get to that and so much more. The way we like to when we have too much news and not enough time, it's Quickies. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. Well, we start off by just saying happy September 21st to everyone. If you have not already heard, do you remember the 21st day of September? a thousand times today, then you're behind. You haven't been on the internet. You don't have any corny friends or producers. Uh, catch up, right, Fitz? Right. I mean, there. it seems like it's an annual tradition, kind of like, uh, you know, it's going to be May. It's going to be May. Um, worth noting that if you are not aware of the gentleman who makes a video every year for this, his name is Demi Adjugibe. I totally butchered his last name, but search Demi. I would have nailed it. Yeah, search Demi <laughs> on YouTube. It's spelled A D E J U Y I G B E. Adajuyigbi. Bless you. Um, yeah, exactly. And uh, watch his videos. You could also just search on YouTube for 921.16, 921.17, 921.18. They're really clever and really fun. It'll get you in on the trend if people sending you that song today has gotten old. Uh, all right, next story. Quickies. Jerry Jones potentially making life tougher on not just Dak, but his doctors. He prefaces what he has to say with nobody really knows, but then he decides to throw out a date anyway. Here's Jerry Jones on 105.3 The Fan talking Dak's return. I do know that I think after a good airing out last week, everybody recognizes that he'll be back sooner rather than later as far as the timeline. And uh, it uh, really could be... uh, a minimal of the two weeks up here uh, in my mind. Now, that's very optimistic. He's got the, uh, the kind of repair there that will allow him not to have a lot of fear about re-injuring. It's just a question of the grip. But it's a big question. Guys, uh, I'm going to win five Emmys next year. Now, that's very optimistic, but I'm still going to say it out loud in an interview. 
Like, what's the point, Fitz, of putting this out there? Uh, the And then on top of it, doesn't use a single medical term any of us can trust <laughs> through any of it. So it's like, you know, he had to kind of clean up there that, you know, not going to take yeah, that long. You know, it, it shouldn't be that out. big. It's just the grip, you know. <laughs> it's just a big deal. But, you know, what are you basing this on, Jerry? Like, also, is Jerry getting, so, you know, at this point, is he getting the right information and only hearing what he wants to hear? Is he only being told what people want to tell the billionaire that owns the team? Or is he just going out there willy-nilly with the press? I, I, none of us know. I, I just think this doesn't help Cooper Rush. doesn't help the Cowboys. Like, Mm-mm. just just worry about you – know, this is this is a Belichick moment. We're going to worry about this Sunday, and this Sunday we don't have Dak Prescott. That's all yeah. we know. When I've got an update on Dak that's concrete and based in medical fact, I'll get back to you. <laughs> all right, next story. Quickies. Uh, the Aces Parade was a success. It was as drunk as promised. There was dancing. There was cigar smoking. There was swearing. There was uh, there were fans getting into it, and there was a precedent set for how you throw down in Vegas. But also, midway through the parade, Derricka Hamby, who is already a mother of one, announced that she's pregnant and was pregnant while winning a championship. You tell me, Fitz, the last men's professional sports championship parade where a guy said he was pregnant while winning. <sighs> I, I don't think there is one. I, <laughs> I, I, I feel pretty confident that there's not, like, this is one of those moments where you're just reminded of how superhuman some people can be through that process. And also just the necessity, I think, that so many people feel in that process. Like one of the things that we talk about sometimes in women's sports that we don't necessarily always focus on for each of these players. Like when you're pregnant and you're on a championship run, that's got to be an incredibly difficult decision of what to do and how to do. And yeah, you're talking to your doctors, but like, how do you get through it? And how do you feel right through it? I I can't imagine sort of the extra pressure that that puts to anybody playing for a title Mm -hmm. when you know how special a title can also be, but you know that you're not just going to be able to say, ah, get them next year. Like all of it is such a difficult process. I mean, we also need to talk about how they were illegally playing six on five. Yeah. <laughs> um, every time she's on the court. I mean, you guys you guys are cheaters. That's 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 what happened. Uh it's next story. Quickies. This is Quickies, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. When we got too many stories and not enough time, we go with Quickies and the big story, one of the biggest stories of the day, of course. Aaron Judge hitting sixty last night. Here's what it sounded like. Here's the three one. Drill deep to left field. There it goes. Number sixty. Slide over, babe. You've got some company. Aaron James Judge has tied George Herman Babe Ruth with 60 home runs. Slide over, babe. That's me talking to my husband when my dogs want to get on the couch. Uh, This a little bit more of a momentous occasion for the babe to slide over. Uh, We'll talk a little bit more about this with uh, the legendary Bernie Williams later, and we'll talk about... Uh, whether or not people are sufficiently hyped for what Aaron Judge is doing. But let's get into the fan portion of this, because a guy named Michael Kessler, a Yankees fan who plays baseball, caught number 60. And right after that, Darren Ravel, who, you know, will take his opinion with a grain of salt, but this is the business he's in, suggested that the ball might be worth $500,000. In fact, he claims that a memorabilia dealer named Rick Probstein offered $550,000 bounty for any Aaron Judge home run balls. Now, this was not a record-breaking ball, and I imagine that one will be worth much less as soon as he hits 61. 
So what do you want to get for it? This is what Michael Kessler, the fan who caught it, said. If you may, Aaron Judge, what would you say to him? I don't know. I just try anything to come back next year. Help the heart and soul of the ball club. Wait, wait, before you go, do you have any expectations about catching the ball and receiving something in return? Um, no, just wanted to give him, give him back his that test story. So any way I could give back to Judge, give him so much to the organization, just do my part. Thank you, Michael. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. So he gives the ball back. He gets some signed bats and balls, takes some photos, gets to meet him, gets to bring his friends to meet him, and allegedly, per Michelle Steele, he gets uh, free tickets for the rest of the regular season games. Not that there are that many left, but it's a lot of people dogging this guy for not going to that memorabilia dealer and seeing if he can get a couple hundred grand. Yeah, here's the the hard part about that. Like, there is a money hungry part of me that says, "Oh my God," you know. I I would do things far more embarrassing than just hand somebody a baseball for you know five hundred thousand dollars. So, like, what 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 am I talking about? But there's also just a human element. I mean, I can't imagine. You know, my Raiders fandom. If a moment happened in a Raiders game that was significant for a player for the rest of their life, I can't imagine not giving them that ball back. I just think, for me, that that's such a you know this is that's his moment, not mine, and. If I can get something back in return, that's awesome. You know, if I can't, it doesn't change the memory that you have forever. So I, I actually don't fault the kid. Yeah, I, I, I think a lot of people would say, "Oh, Aaron Judge is going to be fine." Think about how much money he has. The Yankees are going to be fine. Think about what. They, but there's, I don't know. There's the nostalgia aspect of it, and you're right. It's his. He earned it. It's what he accomplished. I think I would ask for more than what he got. I would definitely try for at least some sort of box seats for next season and maybe many seasons to come. Then you can make some money off the resale on the nights you can't go and you still help him out. I don't think he got enough in return, but I certainly would not be someone who would want to take it to auction, particularly because of the stress fits of like, did you sell it for too little? Did you sell it too early? Did you wait too long? And now he sits 61 and number 60 means nothing. Like that's way too much stress for something that should be positive. And having that relationship and going down as a guy who hooked Aaron Judge up with the ball instead. That's pretty cool. Yeah, especially if you're a mega fan. I'm in with you. Oh, I agree. I guess I also don't have kids to send to college, though. Uh, does the NBA have a culture Dogs. problem at the owner level? We'll talk to Brian Windhorst about it with the latest Robert Sarver news next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. 